Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, Eric Green. Eric, how are you, buddy? I'm um, all right. Doing okay. How about you? You ready for our WrestleMania preview edition of this podcast? Well, uh, I think we have to stick to like 90 seconds per match or else it's going to go over uh, the allotted time. Tell you what, we'll stick to zero seconds per match until maybe the end if we have some time to fill because uh, yeah, well, we don't want people shutting this off right away. Oh, uh, anyway, that analysis would be on point, no doubt. I'm sure it would be. It'd be very reasonable. Um, you know, wrestling with reason. Our uh, our second <laughs> our second podcast. Um, that'll be fun though, and, and thankfully the Raptors are being agreeable this year and starting uh, their Sunday WrestleMania Day game at noon. Surely because they're all such big wrestling fans, uh, and also Raptors 905 won't play during won't play a finals game during WrestleMania this Congratulations, year. Congratulations. Yeah, they got bounced on Friday in the second round of the playoffs. However, I guess we could start off by talking about the fact that Raptors 905, for a second year in a row, produced the G League's most valuable player. For the second time in their four-year history, produced the G League's Defensive Player of the Year. And for the first time in the history of the league, those two people are the same. Uh, Slim Duck, Chris Boucher, your G League MVP DPOY. Eric, uh, obviously you've spent so much time watching Boucher with the 905 this I, year. I, I've got to admit, I haven't made it out to too many games, but I have poured <laughs> over the tape. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's good to have the G League Giannis in, uh, in, uh, on, the, on the roster. Yeah, it's, uh, anyway, it was, uh, we won't dedicate a ton of time to that. It is pretty fun. I mean, obviously it's fun when uh, someone... Within the organization wins a, a couple of awards like that. I thought it was strange because he only played 28 of the team's 50 games. I thought maybe Jordan Lloyd would get the uh, get the MVP nod. He had the better advanced stats case, but obviously that doesn't matter to the coaches and GMs of the G League who are still operating in the early 2000s and going off of per-game statistics. Like Rubes. Uh, I know Chris Boucher, Chris Boucher I, was awesome. I was telling uh, the Raptors... Uh, a lot of the beat writers that just you and uh, the other G League reporter should just vote on all these things. Yeah, I've suggested that in the past. I mean, 100 media members vote on all the NBA awards. Uh, why wouldn't you have the entirety of the G League media, me, Adam Johnson, and occasionally Dakota Schmidt, uh, could all just vote, and that's it? Dakota Schmidt can vote on, like, two of the four awards. Are there yeah, more or, awards his, or his vote is only a tiebreaker between... Yeah. You know, if if Adam and I disagree or whatever, because I guess that would be the issue with uh, with only two of us voting is you'd end up with some one one votes. I you would uh, have to go to rock paper scissors. That's, that's true. <laughs> that's uh, that's we fine. did we did have the same MVP this year though. We both had Jordan Lloyd last year. He had Lorenzo Brown, and I did not agree. Mm. Turning my back on the nine hundred five clearly. Who did who did you pick? Uh, I can't remember now actually. Wow. It turns out his pick. Oh, um, um, Christian Wood is who yeah. I believe I picked last year. Oh, yes. He put up like 25, 12, 2 and 2 or something like that. And mm. was. Yeah. And anyway, is he, still, Chris, is he still on the Milwaukee Bucks? Uh, no, he got waived to make room for Pau Gasol, and then the New Orleans Pelicans claimed him. Of course. 
Yes, which was smart because uh, he has a non-guaranteed option on his year on his deal for next year, similar to Chris Boucher and Malcolm Miller. Um, I guess it, as you know, we're we're talking about Chris Boucher's MVP as if it's a fun side story. He does have uh, a deal for next year, though. It has one hundred twenty-five thousand guaranteed, and it guarantees for the season at the start of the year if he's still on the roster. Uh, obviously, when you have Marcus All and Serge Ibaka, there's not an immediate path to playing time at center. When you have Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi, there's not an immediate path to playing time at the power forward position. Uh, but Eric, do you see a scenario in which you know Boucher's maybe penciled in as front court depth at the NBA level next year? Um, I mean, it's it's tough to say right now. Uh, Nick Nurse was saying after the game. Uh, or before the game, rather, that it's sort of imperative on on the Raptors to help develop his offensive game, perhaps because he uh, he figures to be a bit more of a four uh, with his frame uh, than a five, and we know those those skills or, or those positions are somewhat interchangeable at times. Uh, but I think just based on how we saw him, you know, get posted up with regularity and effectiveness at the NBA level when he did get his few chances. Uh, it's tough to imagine him playing, being a consistent five. You know, it's one thing to say, get bigger, get stronger. But uh, with a frame like that, there's certainly a cap on that. Uh, saying that, I mean, he's, what is he, 25 right now? 26. 26. Uh, so if it's going to happen, it's got to happen soon. And he's obviously in a very, very effective player at, at that level. And with plenty of players, uh, we've seen it dominance at the G League level translate. Uh, not Lorenzo Brown necessarily, um, but, uh, you know, Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet uh, obviously both dominated their, their stints. Uh, and uh, Norman Powell used it to improve, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and Bruno, so, the best player in the NBA. Yeah, um, you know Bruno's the counterpoint to that. Bruno, much younger, obviously, than uh, than Chris Boucher. But you know, you would have figured a few years heading into training camp, he would have had a shot to make the Raptors. You know, as a tenth, eleventh man, and he did. You know, that last year, he certainly did have that shot, and it just never panned out for him. But new position. New roster formation, a lot more uncertainty probably heading into next year uh, than last year. So, uh, you know, he has, he has a shot. Uh, how do you feel about it? Yeah, it's been interesting to watch him all year because he's been so dominant and he has definitely improved. Uh, and even I'm still not sure, you know, I, I think he could give you energy spark minutes right now or like absolutely he could play rotation minutes for a bad team uh, in terms of cracking the Raptors rotation I'm less confident um, you know even though he won defensive player of the year and averaged 4.1 I think blocks per game uh, he still has some issues defending before the shot goes up and what I mean by that is you know uh, he is maybe not as eager to deny a post-entry pass because he's like I, I assume he's thinking well I'll just block the shot uh, and then pick and roll defense, you know, he, if you think back to July with Team Canada, he was so impressive in those exhibition games against China and then didn't crack the roster in part because he wasn't picking up the schemes fast enough. Uh, fast forward to Summer League 
And it was the, the same kind of thing. He didn't get into a game until the fourth game of Summer League. And uh, the, uh, the ironic part of that being they brought him in as a power forward after a couple practices uh, and a couple games he didn't play. And Nick Nurse throws him in at center and is like, oh, maybe this guy's a center, not a power forward. And now after thriving as a center all year, he'll need to transition to power forward probably to see NBA run. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. You, when you protect the rim that well, you run the floor that well, and you have the makings of a three-point shot, that's a pretty, you know, if you are drawing out a starting point for a guy to be able to crack the NBA, you know, he's got, he's got the tougher, um, more high utility parts down. Now it's a matter of figuring out, uh, you know, how to defend more complex pick and roll scenarios and how to be a more functional part of an offense rather than a play finisher alone. Um, and that stuff takes time and it takes reps. And honestly, it probably takes what will be his first uh, his first full off season where he's not. Um, well, I guess last year he wasn't hurt. He was back. He would played 18 games with with Santa Cruz Warriors uh, before last summer. But uh, most of his last couple summers have been spent rehabbing or, or just trying to get back where he was. So this will obviously be a, a big summer for him. And the Raptors are in an interesting spot with Boucher, Miller, and Lloyd, all 25 or 26, all with second years on their deal uh, that are team friendly and ostensibly some roster spots that those guys could fill. So big summers all around for the, uh, the 905 taxi squad. Would you prioritize any of them? Uh, I mean, I know a lot of it's roster dependent, but uh, who... Who do you think has the best chance to be a solid NBA rotation player of the three? It's yeah, I, I think Malcolm Miller probably has the highest floor of those three. I also yeah. probably think he has uh, obviously a lower ceiling than Boucher, and I think with Jordan Lloyd's ability to to be a creator and a scorer for himself, maybe his ceiling's higher than Miller's as well. Uh, Miller just like and Nick Nurse alluded to this yesterday yeah. as a plug and play guy. You know, you look for these, and, and it's something that in four years watching the G League pretty closely, I've started to gravitate more towards these guys who have skill sets that you could pluck out of there, drop in an NBA rotation, and they don't have to change a lot of their game. You know, Jordan Lloyd comes up, he's not going to be getting 25 points a game or, or having the ball in his hands permanently. It was something that Lorenzo Brown struggled with last year to go from highest usage player in the G League to lowest usage player almost in NBA history at one point. Um, he makes Patrick McCaw last year look like uh, look like a willing shooter. So, um, But Miller's the type of guy that he's not going to have to change much. You could drop him in. Um, you know, he, the thing with the thing with Miller in these small windows is that so much of his offense is going to be dependent on three point variance. I think he's probably on true talent, a high 30s three point shooter, which is great. And then he has the length to guard two, three. Um, he can guard some ones, maybe even so, like when the Raptors go super small on the bench, you could probably play him in that power forward spot that Norman Powell plays sometime. Um, but you know, there's also wing is also the position you're constantly going to be looking to upgrade. So if they're looking at the roster next summer and there's a wing who can shoot and defend a little bit, willing to take their mid-level exception, uh, and then Danny Green's back or something like that, it, it gets hard pretty quickly to find minutes there. Uh, yeah. Um, it's just a lot's going on with this roster. Obviously it all starts with Kawhi Leonard and it's funny to think, but it even impacts uh, decisions you're making on uh, your two-way guys or your guys with uh, light uh, 
light guarantees. Yeah, it definitely does because, you know, if Kawhi Leonard stays, obviously in either case you want the best possible players and the best possible prospects, but if Kawhi Leonard stays, I think you lean a little more towards your depth being ready to contribute at the NBA level. And you have things like 25 and 26-year-old two-way players and end-of-the-roster guys, whereas if Kawhi Leonard walks, even, you know, assume that Lowry, Ibaka, and Gasol were all back, Siakam continues to continues to grow. You're you're probably an East playoff team anyway, but then maybe you lean more towards taking these higher upside swings with those roster spots because you know you don't have a championship upside and you're looking more at what this team's going to look like in 2020 or 2021. Um, so then maybe you take more Bruno style shots than the Lorenzo Brown, Malcolm Miller, Jordan Lloyd style shots. Absolutely. Yeah, we should probably talk about what's going on in the wing right now. Uh, with Patrick McCaw out for three weeks minus two days or whatever it is, at least three weeks, uh, OG Ananobi and, uh, you know, just a state of uncertainty with concussion. Uh, I think we can fairly call it a concussion and not concussion-like symptoms. Now. However, he uh, has not yet entered the league's concussion protocol. Hmm. But he doesn't well, feel the best. I talked to him. I actually talked to him yesterday. I ran into him after the game, and he said he's feeling better, um, and he thinks he's getting close. But there have still been like occasional bouts of him just not feeling the best once the activity level ramps up. And like even last night, you didn't see him on the bench um, because you know that's that's a lot of noise and a lot of light yeah. exposure and stuff. Um, so yeah, not technically in the concussion protocol. Okay, he, he says he's starting to feel uh, a little better. Although, although, what's, what's he going to tell a reporter? Hey, no, no, I'm really messed no. up. No, I shouldn't be here at all. <laughs> um, uh, and Danny Green left the game in which he hit seven three-point. It was seven, right? Seven. Yes, he eight, went seven points. of ten, I think. Uh, many of which were hit with a jammed thumb, apparently. And knowing the Raptors, that will mean he'll be in a splint by the end of today. Yes, so we uh, now have had Jonas Valanciunas uh, dislocate a thumb that required surgery. Fred Van Vliet do ligament damage to a thumb that did not require surgery, but kept him out for, I think, what, five weeks by the time he came back. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas had effectively ended his Raptors career. Uh, Patrick McCaw has a sprained thumb that's going to keep him in a in a split for three weeks. And now Danny Green has what's a what's just being called a jammed thumb. Uh, x-rays last night were negative, and then he's set for an MRI either last night or this morning, and they're going to update us today at some point. Obviously, uh, Danny Green would be a huge loss to this team if he missed any time at all. I think the fact that he was still on fire from three through a sore thumb on his non-shooting hand, probably uh, probably encouraging or at least limits the, the downside here, you'd hope. You would hope so. I mean, Fred Van Vliet played a, through a few quarters with uh, a thumb injury, with his thumb injury in New York, so he can't, like... And it was on his offhand, too, although Van Vliet uh, did not hit seven three-pointers in said, said game. Um, but uh, So we can't completely rule out something being up, but uh, it seems unlikely. And obviously, I think, you know, based on the shooting alone, it would be a huge loss. But we all know how much Green does. Uh, not only with his shooting, but with his movement on offense and, and certainly taking on some of the toughest assignments on defense. Uh, you want him as ready to go as possible uh, heading into the playoffs. I, he's sort of the one guy that Nick Nurse has talked about getting some time off of uh, off for heading down the stretch. 
and uh, you know maybe this ends up being a game or two uh, since we've given up on the notion of chemistry and cohesion and getting dry runs, etc. Uh, but you got to hope it's it's not serious and you know put some ice on that sucker and uh, get going. Yeah, you you would not want to lose. 5.5 three-point attempts per game at a 45.7% clip. He, he did not like your uncertainty about uh, whether he was the best shooter in Raptors history. Uh, I would like to say it's whether he's having the best shooting yes, sorry. season. Because Peja Stojakovic is the best shooter in Raptors history. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, I had to be honest. Had to be honest and say I was not sure. Yeah. Well, he's taken, a big, he's taken an even bigger jump in three-point percentage since, so. He is insane. It's just, it's just nuts. Yeah, and to your to your point about rest, this is the uh, he's already at the third most total minutes of his career, and the most since 2014-2015. So, um, not the end of the world. I, I guess we we could talk about that. The Raptors have four games left. Um, they have talked like a team that, I mean, Nick Nurse has said a couple times that they're not heavily worried about load management for other guys down the stretch, um, thinking that injuries and some other things have caused. Uh, guys to have their workloads managed appropriately throughout the year. Uh, I would think, you know, Kawhi Leonard's probably still a bet to get one more of these games off. Uh, Danny Green, maybe now, obviously, Pascal Siakam got an unexpected uh, load management night the other night where the team didn't announce it ahead of time. My my theory about that is it had never occurred to Pascal Siakam that he could be tired. Mm. And once Nick Nurse gave him the game off, acknowledging that fatigue was an option, he thought about it and was like, ah, oh, crap, I am sort of tired, and then had his uh, sort of not a great game on whatever night last night was. Monday. Monday. Yeah. Uh, the other thing to watch, Kyle Lowry has played 62 games this year. He has some incentive triggers in his contract that he can only uh, achieve if he plays in 65 games. So the CBA is set up weird where you cannot have incentives strictly for playing time and games played, obviously because that would introduce some um, agency issues in terms of, oh, do I play this guy? You know, like say you're say you're Patrick McCaw and you have a bonus for 50 games played. Well, that starts to change Nick Nurse's rotation patterns late in the year maybe for fringe guys. However, you can have things like, well, this player has to average eight assists a game over a 65-game stretch, or he has to make the all-star team in a season in which he plays 65 games. So you can have it as a qualifier for other awards. Uh, Kyle Lowry's three games away with four games to go. I would very much expect Kyle Lowry to play at least three of the final four games. Blake, I had not heard that, and I had certainly not heard that when I uh, wrote about Kyle Lowry uh, returning to the lineup after two games because of a sprained ankle. No commenters or people on Twitter said uh, he and the team were being irresponsible. This, again, is the first time I've heard that. Yes. And as I researched that day that you were writing that piece, you cannot amend those incentives. So the Raptors couldn't be like, Kyle, chill. We'll, we'll lower the cutoff to 60 games. As uh, you know, in football, the Eagles decided to just give uh, Nick Foles the a million dollar bonus. He was owed. Uh, I, I mean, I'm guessing he came in just under some sort of... Uh, uh, level criteria. That's the word. 
and they just gave him a million, and then your Jacksonville Jaguars yeah. gave him many more million. Oh, I thought you were going to point out how my Jacksonville Jaguars then did the opposite with Leonard Fournette and basically robbed him of several million dollars uh, because he got suspended by the team for a game, and then they were like, well, we can use this to void a bunch of your bonuses. Yeah, I was not going to do that, but uh, NFL's great. Yeah, wow, I wonder... You know, Bobby Webster's sitting in a sitting in a in his office somewhere, twiddling his thumbs, being like, "Could we find cause to suspend Kyle for two games and not have to pay the tax on all these incentives?" Look, you want to move him next year anyway, yeah. guys. That was a joke. Uh, although you might want to, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. That's but that, that's a podcast for a distinctly different day than yes. this. That is a podcast for hopefully June sometime. Uh, otherwise, you know, there will be more certainty to that podcast if it takes place in May. Yes. Uh, okay, the Raptors have four games left. Obviously, the Raptors are locked in a second. It doesn't really matter. They've clinched the Atlantic Division and clinched finishing no worse than second. But their magic number to get locked into second is one. One Milwaukee win or Toronto loss. And the Raptors are stuck in number two. Uh, they have, they are at Brooklyn, at Charlotte, home against Miami, at Minnesota, um, obviously none of the outcomes of these games matter to Toronto, but the Brooklyn, Charlotte and Miami games, uh, maybe not the Charlotte game because poor Campbell Walker's out there dropping 47 points and getting like six points of contribution from the other starters in a loss. Uh, but the Brooklyn and Miami games figured to have a material impact on the playoff standings. Eric, we're going to write this week about which team the Raptors would most like to draw in the first round. But, uh, these Brooklyn Miami games, it's something you asked Nick Nurse about last night. Is you know do you, I tried to. try to um, <laughs> do you almost have to throw the results away ahead of time just because like the Raptors have nothing to play for and Brooklyn and Miami and even Orlando last night are fighting for their lives? Yeah, I mean, I, I I wouldn't go so far as to say throw them away, but you can definitely. It is hard to manufacture intensity and uh, incentive. Uh, you know, well, it's impossible to manufacture incentive, and uh, you know, you unless you create some literal incentive for the players. So, you know, maybe a bounty gate type scenario, for example, um, which I'm not suggesting. I'm just saying that was a good way of creating uh, uh, incentive. Uh, but yeah, like these teams are, you know, there's, if, if we count out Charlotte, which we should, they're, uh, there are three games, three games back of the eighth playoff seed, uh, Right now, there are four teams within a game of and a half of each other, and only three of them are going to the playoffs. And they all have between 38 and 40 losses. And, you know, they would probably like to get, a, I imagine, except for the Pistons, who clearly want the Raptors, they want to get as high of a seat as possible. So, um, but more than anything, they just want to be there. Uh, so, yeah, like the Raptors just can't duplicate that. They should not, you know, put, you know, get Kawhi and Kyle into the mid thirties or high thirties uh, to uh, to try and eke out a win, uh, despite the race that's going on with uh, the Golden State Warriors right now. To keep you interested, the Raptors are have one fewer loss than the Warriors uh, in in a future finals uh, matchup. Uh, so. That is the only piece of actual uh, standing watching uh, that involves them that they have to be concerned with. But, you know, it's just a silly thing to risk an injury for, I I think. Uh, So, 
Yeah. In in short, like if it's a close game and then those teams take over late, who really cares? I guess. Yeah. Uh, this is going to come down to the last night of the season, by the way. We are absolutely not going to know the Toronto Raptors playoff opponent until the night of Wednesday, April 10th. Miami at Brooklyn and Orlando at Charlotte at the same time that night. Woo! Yeah. Whoa. I guess it's I guess it's possible that uh, one of those teams, you know, drops three games in a row before then and we can rule them out. Like like I think we could probably rule Charlotte out, but um you know, that game will still uh, matter obviously for the uh for the whoever I just said they're playing against perspective. I lost it. Who does Detroit play? Do we know? Um I'll look it up. It's okay. Second. You keep talking. You keep talking, you beautiful. Man. Yeah. So I don't know. That's a uh, that's going to make that day kind of weird because, um, you know, we're the Raptors will be done. Normally, the Raptors have played on the last night of the season because almost everyone usually plays on the last night of the season. It'll be weird to just, you know, the Raptors will be done and we'll still have no idea. And for the purposes of us planning our playoff preview content, it'll be. Uh, and most importantly, importantly, me booking travel. Yes, but you've already booked for. I've booked hotels, but the flights uh, are a different story. I guess you have to wait for the schedule in any any case. Uh, Detroit's in New York, so that's going to be a hard one for Dwayne Casey to tank uh, to play the Raptors, but we shall see. Yeah, I don't think they actually want to do that, by the way. No, I don't, but I, I think it's funny if they did, and then, you know, Blake Griffin missed one game and now has a mysterious knee injury that's obviously fake. So, uh... Yeah, obviously fake. Yes, of yeah. course. Uh, Dwayne still, still quite salty. Yeah, well, it's not good for the uh, blood pressure, but it is good for keeping uh, keeping your nose to the grindstone. Do you want to throw out? Is that where you keep your nose? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, cool. Uh, cool, cool. Do you want to make your predictions for the? Sure, sure. Who cares? Yeah. Um, I'll say. They win in Brooklyn. They, who's next? Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Lose, in, lose in Charlotte. Let's say there are some load management games. No, they, they still have a back. To, do they have yeah. a back to back? No. Um, hmm. Lose in Charlotte. Beat Miami. I don't want to guess Minnesota. That's a total throw off. Throw, uh, throw away. But let's just say they win. Who cares? No, they lose. Lose. Two and two. That's where we're going. Look at the conviction. Yeah, these are. this, this is great. <laughs> Bathe in the conviction. All right. Let's, uh, let's wrap this up. We'll keep it a little tighter. Uh, oh, sorry. There is one thing I wanted to talk to you about. You wrote about last night how, with Marcus Hull, the Toronto Raptors are starting to reach toward elite defensively. Since the trade... They have a defensive rating of 104 points per 100 possessions, which is tied for third in the NBA behind only Utah and the Orlando Magic. Uh, so right away you see how uh, small, not small samples, but like a quarter season sample may be introduced. I mean, Orlando's been the hottest team in the league, it's more true. or less. Uh, the Raptors so. just finally figured them out. They, the Orlando is still good. I think they just had, you know, a couple yeah. of their best players have gone cold a little bit. Uh, the Raptors also have the number three net rating during that span. I uh, I don't know that I agree that the defense has been quite that good. Like the, the Raptors have had such a cake schedule 
Yeah, they've had a saw. That's the one thing I failed to mention that piece uh, that I sort of wish I did, but you know how deadline writing goes. Um, continue. No, I was just going to say that, uh, you know, the, the schedule has been quite soft. Um, obviously, there's a lot of noise in there on the Raptors side, too, with changing lineups and changing rotations. Um, but I think, you know, even if you don't agree with the, the number or they're standing in the league over that stretch, I think the fact that you are seeing more frequent bursts of the non-center players, you know, like I say non-center not because Gasol and Ibaka can't be effective, but because I think that the perimeter defense will dictate much more of their defensive success than uh, how the centers play. Um, you know, that you've seen more occasional bursts and longer bursts of those guys just locking down. And you've seen Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry, and Danny Green work super well as a trio. You've seen Kawhi Leonard uh, still take, you know, three quarters off defensively a lot of the time guarding a, a lesser player and then finding the spark in key moments or, or in the fourth quarter when he feels like ending the game and taking the rest of it off. Um, you've seen more and more of that. And I think uh, Patrick McCaw's injury hurts probably a little bit. It hurts the defense of those second units, but we're not going to see those full second units in the playoffs anyway. And then, you know, assuming OG and OB gets a game or two under his belt to shake the rest off. Uh, I think you're in pretty good shape defensively. And, you know, in, in the first round of the playoffs, you are not going to run into uh, any elite offenses. Uh, the tr- Detroit Pistons are the number four offense since the trade deadline. Um, but for the most part, these are teams that are getting it done on defense or just not getting it done altogether at all, really. Um, but, yeah, you'll have a you'll have a series to kind of find that more and, and figure out what works best. And Nurse has toyed with more aggressive pick and roll coverages um, to inconsistent results as we saw against the, the in the second Oklahoma City game and the Charlotte game. Uh, but it's good that they're getting these reps in and getting it twisted up. I just wanted to give you the opportunity to follow up for anyone who maybe hasn't read your piece yet about the Raptors um, reaching toward a lead on defense and what you've seen on that end of the floor. Yeah, I just, it's been more anecdotal. And, and I think them being third in defensive rating, it's even more impressive when you think of the games against Oklahoma City and Charlotte last, uh, was that yeah. last week? <coughs> Whatever week it was, uh, and where Nick Nurse admitted they were just trying to perfect some trap coverage and, you know, give it throwing the same look at, at you know, elite point guards on, uh, you know, 12 straight, you know, pick and roll possessions, which they wouldn't do. And when you think of that sort of high three-point percentage that they've given up over some games, I think it speaks better to what they've done overall. There were definitely a few possessions last night. Uh, Nick Nurse used the word suffocating. Uh, I think that's fair in the in the second and third quarters where they just they were rotating so well there before you know if you're not making a decision right away uh, and obviously that's something better teams do uh, uh, with more frequency they're recovering so quickly that it, it becomes a stifling proposition to try and play against the Raptors uh, you know the, the they're going to need. And not need, it would be very useful to have Ananobi back uh, just to give you that added defense off the bench. Uh, but they're looking a bit, just a bit more like we thought they would look before the season started. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't think Gasol's presence has, uh, has put them into as tight of a spot and made them as predictable maybe as they were with Jonas Valanciunas, which again isn't to say that Jonas Valanciunas wasn't very good this year because he was. 
It does not have to be about one or the other. Um, anyway, that's just my disclaimer. Uh, so I, I just think overall you have to be pr- pleased with the process or the progress rather. And uh, it's a yeah, I would time. still like to see the corner threes come down a little bit for, for opponents. That's the one area kind of if you're looking at the shot spectrum on offense or defense that stands out as something that kind of doesn't fit the ethos the Raptors have approached things with. Um, but as uh, every coach will tell you, you can only take away so many things. And they probably feel that they're giving up corner threes to uh, the right shooters. My very crude analysis of that um, pointed to them giving up threes to completely average shooters on average, which is what you'd expect now that we have a, what, a 2,400 opponent three-point shot sample. Um but yeah, they're they're in pretty good shape. I found the I found the year kind of interesting statistically at both ends because the Raptors in the past have been a team that um, basically they they succeeded in large part by maximizing possessions, and by that I mean they were a very low turnover offense that forced a lot of turnovers. They were they were a pretty good offensive rebounding team that was solid on the defensive glass, and they got to the free throw line a lot on offense. And this year they are much more average in all of those areas. But they're third in the league in effective field goal percentage on offense and third in the league in effective field goal percentage on defense. They are like they are even their shot spectrums are are like closer to average on both ends of the floor than extreme, even though they're you know, they approach the game intelligently on both ends of the floor. Um, But what they've become now is just a team that has the talent to take a fairly average mix of shots and do it really well and defend a fairly average mix of shots and do it pretty well. I think that speaks to having really good players. Yeah. It's just like, they've just been steady for the most part. Aside from like right around new year's, uh, there hasn't really been one of those classic Raptors dips. I don't think, um, they certainly have had relatively fallow periods, but it, it hasn't felt like the sky is falling that often this year. And every Raptor season tends to, to have one of those. They're, they're just solid, uh, no obvious weaknesses aside from, I mean, I still think defensive rebounding yes. uh, could be that. I, I don't think we've, uh, I haven't checked the numbers recently, uh, but you know, that's, that's the obvious weakness on the roster and it's going to, it's just going to require a lot of people helping out, but good offensive rebounding teams, as I believe the Sixers are, um, could be problematic from that, uh, from that perspective. But other than that, you look at the roster and you look at the numbers and they're just a team that does nothing poorly. Yeah, uh, they're down to 18th in defensive rebounding percentage on the season. Uh, and I believe that that's lower since the trade deadline. Uh, part of that is obviously losing Jonas Valanciunas to injury and then the trade um, but they're not. Yeah, that's that's probably the one area that in the corner threes on defense, which, again, might be a product of picking your poison. Um, but yeah, they're uh, they're in fairly good shape. And then I think something that colors all of this that obviously we've talked about at length is that like Kawhi Leonard has played 56 games and, and Kyle Lowry has played 62 and they haven't played a ton of those together. I think it's like 46 or something like that. Um, and this team is still as good as they are the top six on both ends of the floor. And um, analytically they, they look like the third best team in the league after the bucks and warriors. Um, no, I pretty much no matter the metric you look at, that is the the kind of pecking order 
based on the advanced stats, is Milwaukee, Golden State, Toronto. And obviously, uh, Golden State is at the top of that list based on when you take all of the information in. Um, you know, there are people who don't necessarily believe Milwaukee is as good as their numbers. And now Milwaukee is starting to see some uh, injury trouble. But also the Warriors just are the most switch flippy team uh, that there is. So that is ever flip switches. Yes. So I think that's pretty much all we need to talk about for now. We will talk okay, again. No, no time, no time for a WrestleMania preview, but let me just ask you one question. Sure. Uh, who is most likely to not walk away with a, or in certain cases, both titles uh, this weekend, Becky Lynch, Kofi Kingston, or Seth Rollins? Who is least likely to win? Yeah. Uh, to win their match. Seth Rollins. I guess. I agree. Yeah. Cool. I just, uh, yeah. There's a bigger story to tell there, I feel. Yeah, also that, that storyline has just kind of flopped. Like, it doesn't feel uh, like the same culmination that it does for the other two stories. Well, yeah, because the other two things happen, sorts, you know. Organically? Somewhat organically, and this one, you know, as, as great of a performer as Rollins is, you know, he's been pushing, been getting pushed for the better part of a, of a year. I, and, uh, I love that we have now established in kayfabe over the years that the only way to get an advantage on Brock Lesnar is to low blow him. It's like the only thing, like, like it was what the undertaker went to. It's what Seth Rollins is going to. It's what I forget who else did it. Finn Balor. Maybe everyone just mm-hmm. takes, takes shots at Brock's junk. And that's the only way to, it's the only way to weaken him. Well, it's a good plan. Yeah. If you can get away with it. Uh, like, I don't even think that's a, you know, a kayfabe thing. It's illegal, like though. Yes. I'm aware of that. Uh, anyway, good to have the revival on here with me uh, talking. Yes. Talking wrestling. Yeah. Top guys. Speaking of, top guys out. Let's end this podcast. I got to go. Um, we will talk to you guys, uh, I assume the Wednesday or Thursday before the first round, probably the Thursday, once we know an actual first round opponent, it would seem silly to do this podcast, uh, a day before we learn who the Raptors are playing in the first round. Uh, also a heads up for moving forward. We don't have specifics yet. And I don't think the format of this podcast is going to change much, but we are going to be transitioning at some point in the next couple of weeks. And I think it'll be transitioning away from um, SoundCloud. If that's how you listen, I'm not sure if it'll still be on iTunes or what, but um, some things are happening at the athletic with podcasts and it will affect this podcast uh, a little bit, but we don't have details yet. So, uh, you know, keep uh, a heads up, keep an eye out for that when we broadcast changes we'll probably do one more at least through these channels to to let everyone know if it's migrating Um, but yeah heads up that that's coming stay tuned to your feed also subscribe to the athletic because we're gonna have some good playoff content i think yeah um and also we like money well we don't see any extra i don't know about your contract i don't see any extra money for subscriptions oh i have tons of performance i just want to (laughs) share more of my content and more of the discussion and more of following the Raptors with our lovely listeners well, who might not. You're clearly, you're clearly the face here and I'm the heel. That's fine. It's long-term storytelling, Eric. You'll, you'll see yeah. where it's going. It's uh, yeah. you know, Walter's Walter's ready for his close up by the way. Oh, great. All right, man. Um, thanks for coming on. Thanks for listening guys. And we will talk to you uh, for a round one preview podcast sometime next week. See ya. It's too late to be. 
the reasonable.